Hi, this is Jeff from the FASD Success Show. Today, we have a great show. We're talking to Tristan and Scott Cassin-Rene. We're talking about how they started FASD Ireland, how they were the first same-sex couple to foster and adopt their trials and tribulations as they navigated parenthood and now have three young adults. We're going to talk about their view of success and parents as a couple, how acknowledging their different backgrounds helped them create a middle ground, the biggest lesson in raising children with diverse needs and tips for other caregivers, when and why they started FASD Ireland, its key messages, current programs, and future goal. And we're going to talk about one of the wildest stories that you'll ever hear. It involves surgery, a helicopter, and a hairbrush. So grab some snacks or some walking shoes and let's get after it. Welcome to the FASD Success Show, the only podcast where you can get real-world information about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. This show will help you create calm in the chaos, have hope for the future, and more importantly, save your sanity so you don't lose your flipping mind. Now, here's your host, caregiver turned world FASD educator, Jeff Noble. Hey everybody, welcome, welcome to the FASD Success Show. So glad you're here. Whether this is your first episode or your 114th episode, thank you so much for being here and supporting us. And if this is your first episode, thank you so much for finding us. If you like what you listen to and you want to continue listening to it, well then by all means, if you could do us a favor and subscribe, helps you, it helps us, it helps you, because when we drop a brand new episode, it'll go right into however you get your podcast, phone, tablet, homing pigeon, and it helps us because it lets people know that the show is relevant and it's important and it matters, and you know what, guys, you're letting me know, and thanks, thanks for just... All the cool things you're saying, all the suggestions. You know, we have a newsletter and we'll let people in the newsletter know once a week that we got a new episode up just to, you know, because folks are busy and people, I'm asking questions and we're chatting and people are replying to me. And that's a big deal because it's hard to have a conversation when you're talking into a microphone when nobody is around. So if that's you, when you reply to the emails and send me messages, I freaking think you're awesome. And thank you so much for doing that. Awesome. Okay, so this is the FASD Success Show, right? Why did we brand it like that? Because we want to create success. That's what this podcast is all about. It's about creating FASD success. And how do we do that? We talk to some kick-ass people, plain and simple, who are doing some great things in the world of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And what happens is my hope when you listen to this is not only to give you hope, but to give you some education, maybe some entertainment, feel a little better, have a little chuckle, have some deep thoughts, and to be able to use some of the stuff you learn and put it into action so you could start having better days at home because that's what we want that's what we need and i know that's what you want and today my guest guys like i'm just gonna get right into it I'm talking to tristan and scott married kids you know neurodivergent kids tristan believes that a few other kids might possibly be on the spectrum but they haven't gone through the diagnosis. He talks about that. Scott talks about his podcast. Tristan talks about retiring from the railroad and then starting FASD Ireland. They talk about being the first same-sex couple to be uh, allowed to not only foster and then adopt and everything that was going on around that. And they stayed together for so long. I, I got to 
get the goods right it's hard it's hard on relationships intellectual disabilities disabilities of any kind hard is hard and so they give some really good tips because as you'll hear they have a great sense of humor they have great chemistry together and they're doing really great things so just to decipher them tristan is the ceo and founder scott has come on to be the chief operating officer but scott also has an awesome podcast it's called the foster and adoption podcast and it's really good and he does it with his buddy Al so I'm definitely you should check that out because they have some great conversations around the foster and adoption topics and then I'm telling you like I told you in the intro of the show you're gonna hear one of the most wild stories ever like my jaw hit the floor when I saw this unfolding on social media and so I'm just gonna let them tell you all the cool things. These guys are kick-ass dudes. They give some great information. So if I'm ready, you're ready. All right, let's go. All right, here I am and excited as all heck, fellas, right? I'm even swearing in Canadian. I am so excited to have both Scott and Tristan on the podcast today. Fellas, thanks so much for joining me. Are you very no welcome. It's good to be here. Oh, well, I'm pumped to have you. I'm glad, like, we had the reschedule. Are you feeling better? I am. I came down with COVID and it was Omicron, so it only stayed with me for five days. I was able to shake it off fairly quickly, so good. That a boy, that a boy. Because the reason I bring that up is, I don't know, for lack of a better term, because I'm not really that bright, you guys are wild. Like, you're doing all kinds of things and things happen, and I mean that in the best way, but... I always love to get an origin story. That's how we do it here, like the Marvel origin story, because you guys are parents also to individuals on the spectrum. How did you guys meet? How did we meet? Yeah, man. Yeah, Um, this is how you guys are together. Like, how did you meet? Well, we met, I'm going to hopefully not put my foot in it, but we met in 1998, so it's a long time ago. And I was driving home from working one of the London airports, and I fancied stopping for some dinner. I stopped in Burger King of all places, and he, he will kill me for this. And uh, I went in and ordered, we're getting to know each other. I love it. I went, I went in and ordered my dinner, and I could hear this guy shouting out as somebody driving a red car. And I said, yeah, it's me. And he said, you've left your lights on. Uh, this is in the days before automatic headlights, of course. It's a long time ago. And I just looked from his feet to his head and fell in love at that point. And that was that. Oh, my gosh. Can we say... Can we say uh, it was uh, love at first light? Yeah, yeah, oh, no, seriously. Insert that joke. And you gave the gang sign, Scott. Was that because oh, God, you, know, just... you didn't feel the same? You're like, who is this guy, you know, <laughs> eyeing me up? I don't know. It's, it just seems so long ago now. And um, I think I was 21 at the time. Yeah. And I never expected at 21 to be with somebody at the age of 45, the same person, if that makes sense, back yeah, then. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's just a quirk of fate that we met. And, and here we sat, here we stand, you know, 24 yeah, years. Yeah. And here, that, that great way to say it, Scott, because here you stand. You have, you know, you have three boys. And this podcast, we call it FASD Success for a reason. But success is not easy. So to fast forward the timeline a little bit, you guys get married. And who decided, like, we wanted to start a family? I think that's such an interesting question because... I think looking back now, I can't remember who it was that decided or how we even talked about it. I think um, to begin with, we, we talked about fostering. Yeah. And at that time, that was 2000, 
three or four, maybe. And at that time, it was still not legal for same-sex couples to, to adopt. Right. The law had recently changed. And I think that when we went down the fostering route, that the social worker who visited us said, I don't think you'd be suitable for fostering. I think you should maybe consider adoption. Oh. And that kind of, kind of opened our eyes to the fact that we could adopt because the law had recently changed. So that it, we kind of, <laughs> I'd love to say that we did lots of research, but actually looking back, we were, like most parents who adopt, so naive. We thought we'd done all our research and, you know, gone for the right agency, et cetera. We did go for the right agency. That's, you know, that's not a lie, but we could have done a lot more than what we did. You know, we were those people that said, well, once they come to us, we'll make a big difference because we wanted older children. So, yeah, that's that's my version of it anyway. I mean, Tris, Tris like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Tris, we can't read your face here. Is, is, is this, is this <laughs> well, I think that we had looked after overseas students who had come to visit us on a number of occasions and we'd hosted them through their school, through their language school. And, uh, you know, we'd had a couple that had some issues and some problems and they've gone well. And so we just right. looked at each other and said, well, we can do this for ourselves. You know, we don't need to to just do it for students that are visiting two weeks at a time. Let's see if we can do this. And that journey took about, I suppose it took about three years to go from let's see if we can do this to actually doing it. So there was a fair long lead in for us in terms of trying to, as Scott said, find the right agency. We did register with one agency who just put us on the books to tick a box and left us sitting there for a year. So, you know, that was a bit of a wasted year for us. But eventually I was, again, driving home. (laughs) All the best things happened in my car. Mm -hmm. But um, I was driving home. I had the radio on. And the radio they were advertising for adopters, I rang up and the, the social worker came out the next day. It was that quick. So now you have a child, right? So, and I'm assuming, um, this is an assumption that neither of you were parents before? No, no neither, neither of us were parents before, no. And so we, um, yeah, we, we, we actually had a sibling, two children, two, two boys. So a sibling group who are aged seven and eight. And, and we were also the first same-sex couple that the local authority had placed with. So lots of red flags, lots of risks. We, you know, we, we were That's overly right. assessed, overly judged and overly scrutinized, I suppose. But for good reason, you know, it was very new. People were very nervous and we were very nervous. But we always said all along that we wouldn't take a young child a baby or a, you know a very young child an infant we always did want to take a child or children that were a little bit older and and so that works for us i have so many questions <laughs> did you feel that pressure guys like uh, being the first same-sex couple that had uh, received a placement like that not only for other lgbtq but in terms of like the pressure of that right Be- being the first of anything or were you just so nervous about the kids themselves like how do you guys feel i think i i mean i think we got wrapped up in the process rather than thinking we were the first to do it 18 months it took for them to assess us um now that but you know nowadays the maximum time allowed in the uk is six months so we would have fallen way outside of those kind of time scales right but back then it just it just felt like that was how it was we didn't question we you know we were told all the things like you know Live your life normally. Go on holiday. Do this. Do that. Do the next thing. And I think we did. Well, so we did. 
Yeah, we did. Yeah, we, did. We, we were hardly in the UK, actually, at that point in time. But I think when they came along, I think it was more about the, there was this, those kind of niggles where, you know, a social worker had said, you know, that this could fail because they're older, because they're siblings, because you're a new parent, because you're this, because you're that. So I think it was probably more that that we were kind of more conscious of. You know, we were both made to take a year off um, so that they could settle in. I mean, they were classed... <laughs> There were classes harder to place, that's what they call them here in the UK, if their siblings are older. And that's fine, I can see why. But when you add on top some of the layers that they, of the kind of potential behavioural difficulties that they had, the background that they came from, etc., there was, there was a lot of layers there. And that's why they made us, well, they didn't make us, but they asked us if we would take a year off. So Tris took a year off work and I gave up work altogether because, it, you know, the, the chance of it being successful were more so if we were able to intensively parent from the off. So we just kind of, you know, jumped in four feet rather than two. Were the sibling group, are they suspected or they have a diagnosis of FASD? So when the boys were placed, they had multiple diagnoses depending on which specialist or practitioner they had seen. Every single one that they had come into contact with just added another label. It was as if they were walking post-it notes. And our job turned out to be the, 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 the champions of the children to start peeling away those post-it notes and getting to the root causes and root issues and root diagnosis. Of course, when you're doing that and you're learning to parent and you're parenting and you're dealing with school and you're dealing with social workers and all sorts of situations that you're just not prepared for, that takes time. So I have um, a diagnosis of our oldest child doesn't have a diagnosis of anything because he was incredibly and he still is incredibly good at masking. Mm. So, you know, for him, he's missed the boat, but he has learned to survive. So he is a natural survivor in that sense. Middle son, again, lots of diagnosis. We peeled away. He did not want to engage. It was his choice not to engage. But we we know in the background that there is an underlying FASD from the evidence that we have. But for him, it's it's not important. And when I say that, I don't say that lightly. What, what I mean by that is that he has learned to survive, much, much like his older brother, knowing the conditions that he he has and that he faces daily and he has learned a way to live independently with those and he has learned that over a number of years so he did have a lot of wobbles from adolescence to 22 but now he's 22 20 going on 23 next month he has come of age is the only way I can put it it's it's the delay bit we all know that you know, young people with FASD have various chronological and biological ages. Mm-hmm. And in terms of his emotional age and his cognitive age, there are some gaps. And so, you know, he did have a couple of years where he just sat at home and didn't do anything. And for us, that was incredibly difficult, frustrating, because he had lots of potential, but he needed to go through that journey himself with us as guiding arms and guiding lights and I say arms because I mean we have to hold our children when they go through these periods of time and you know it it was difficult it was complicated but we could see that he was growing through it and that was really important so 
when we talk about our first two children, because we have a third, our first two children, they don't have a diagnosis. And, you know, I hope that that, that gives you the kind of reasons why. And I think that as well, their, their, their time of coming to live with us was a long time ago now that, you know, they were seven and eight and now they're 22, 23, going on 23, 24. So, you know, 16 years ago is a long time and FASD wasn't even on the block at that point. We know it existed, but it just wasn't on the tongues of the professionals. Yeah, well said, Tristan. Did you, that you had the two boys come, I'm sure there was a honeymoon period, right? And then did you, and then I'm assuming behavior started, symptoms started showing their face. Did you guys encounter some symptoms from your guys? Definitely. And I, I think that we, like you say, honeymoon period, massive honeymoon period, and it kind of ebbed and flowed. So sometimes you think, oh, this is great. And then other things, times you think, holy shit, you know, what is going on here? And like Tris says, I think that that long ago, we didn't know, we didn't know what FASD was. We were told about this new thing called attachment theory. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's how we are. You know, it was, it was this thing that was coming over the pond. And, you know, we even mentioned it to a couple of social workers and they were like, oh, well, we don't know much about that. And, you know, that, that was the kind of the kind of response we were getting to that. So if we'd gone to them and said anything about FASD, if we'd known anything about FASD, then it probably wouldn't have even, you know, registered with them. They, they wouldn't have known what it was. I think for us, um, the, the kind of the biggest issues that we were having were in education. I think that the um, at home, it wasn't all peaches and, you know, cream, but it was a lot better than it was at school. You know, our um, middle son, he spent lunch times at home. We had to go and pick him up from school. He was, I think he spent more time out of school than he actually spent in school as a result of his behavior. And, you know, the head teacher at that time, who's since retired, she, she went on a real learning journey because to begin with, she would make him stand outside her office as a punishment for whatever he'd done in the morning with the other kids. You know, there'd be a line of them, maybe three or four of them who'd been naughty during the day. And she got to the point where actually she, you know, she said, he is one of the most complex students I've ever come across in my 20 odd years as a head teacher, which said a lot to us. And it's, I think that it was at that point that we realized there was maybe something else and it wasn't just behavioral. It wasn't just because of his you know, background. There's some of it that is as a right. result of the early years experiences, but certainly not all of it. And then of course, when we started to learn about FASD, which came along when we had our third son, I think that's when we started to connect up the dots and go, oh, okay, this is, this is probably <laughs> probably connected, but we left up to him. He was old enough. Um, yeah, to be I, I can remember the light bulb moment because we had done on, on child number three, we had already gone through looking for the warning signs in the child permanence report. And, you know, the, the evidence of al- alcohol being consumed in utero was there. And we said, oh, I wonder, let's go and look at the other two. And sure enough, the evidence was there. It had been under our noses all the time, but nobody had ever mentioned FASD back in, you know, the, the, the early days. So it was it was there. The evidence was there, sufficient evidence to get a diagnosis. But, you know, as I said, the, the, both of the, the boys were of an age there where they could decide what they wanted to do in terms of interventions right. or support and help. And they both decided they didn't want to, to go down that road. We did have a lengthy conversation with them both about it and said, you know, that this could change your life in terms of the support you get going forward. But I think heartfelt, they said, look, 
we've been different all our lives. Yeah, yeah. We just want to be normal. And our way of being normal is to get rid of social workers, to get rid of practitioners, get rid of the child adolescent mental health service. So we're not poked and prodded. We just like to be left alone. And I think they'd, they'd reached the end of their tether with all of that. And so we respected their decision to, sure. to, to, to just live, live their lives how they wanted to. And it's worked out okay for them both, I have to say. Right. So when you're talking about FASD now with what you do and about, do they ever ask questions about it or is it just onwards and upwards? Well, I think so. Middle son rolls his eyes. He lives at home with us still. Right. So yes, when we talk about FASD, he does roll his eyes a bit because it, it, it has become, I mean, I worked for the railway for 25 years and then ret- took, Scott hates this, but I took up re- early retirement to look after third child I'm not old enough to have retired but after five years of being the stay-at-home dad I decided enough was enough and I wanted to do something with my my skill and my knowledge and and that's why FASD Ireland came about and and why the organization is now part of our life but yeah so middle son absolutely you know he he understands the significance and the connection but really it's at arm's length for him yeah, absolutely. So just to, before we move on from the school, like before you guys really grasped it and you were having these issues because I heard all the accommodations Scott was talking about in terms of lunchtime and your kids being so complex. Was there a time where you feeling that maybe like our parenting is shite or it's the system is shite? What did you think? <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Which one? Like both? Both, yeah, both. I mean, you know, there were times where I think that looking back on it now, when we said, oh, you know, we've looked after this child and that child and the next child, we can do this. I don't think we were wrong in saying that, but it was very naive of us to assume that that was how to parent a child because, you know, these children had really secure attachments at home. That, you know, they were being parented by their biological parents, et cetera, et cetera. And we were taking on somebody else's children at the end of the day. And I think that we underestimated the kind of complexities of that. I think when people said, oh, my, you know, we, I read it all the time. I hear it all the time within the adoption community. Oh, you know, my child doesn't do that. This is, you know, people who have biological children. My child doesn't do that, or all children are the same, or, you know, whatever it is that they they say. Um, And that can become quite frustrating when you're trying to learn to be a parent to older children especially, you know, because you're taking on two human beings who have their own thoughts, own opinions, own voice, and, you know, they, they are able to kind of make themselves known, maybe not quite as we would have done, but, you know, they certainly do that. And I think the system as well, you know, when, I, when we look back, we took um, our middle son for a session with the child and adolescence, adolescent mental health, and this was supposed to be an ongoing thing. And when he was asked by the, the practitioner, um, how many sessions do you want? We were a bit like, whoa, where did that come from? You know, this is supposed to be an ongoing thing. This is supposed to be a bit of some form of assessment for counselling or therapy for him to see what he needed. And when our son said, well, today, that's all I want to do. I don't want to come back. And that was it. It was gone. So there was kind of, in my eyes anyway, there was, there was, there was things that were obvious to us that other people maybe didn't see. Now, we knew that, you know, that wasn't a question that you could ask a middle son because, of course, he didn't want to engage. And I understand why now, don't get me wrong, because back then I think that counselling and therapy was, was something to be ashamed of if, you know, you're a certain age. And fast forward to, you know, having Jacob, our third son, We've been very open and honest about with him from the start because he's very highly intelligent kid who knows everything about everything. So he knows what therapies, he knows what mental health is as a result of his kind of 
early years with his mum. So he, he's known from the start about therapy and counselling. So he's very willing to engage in it. But for the other two, it was, it was, it was a lot harder work to the point where, you know, even now they, they wouldn't necessarily engage. They've, you know, don't get me wrong, they're not angels. They're great kids or great adults. But, they, you know, there's still some inputs that they could do with even as adults that, you know, would help them for the, the remainder of their kind of adulthood. Mm. So, but as parents, failing all the time and in our eyes, you know. But the one thing that I like to take from it is the fact that we've been very open. We didn't have a, a, an open adoption as such, but as time has gone on and the, the guys have become adults, they've obviously had contact with their birth families, but they still view us as their parents and you know for a 24 and 23 year old to to be in that position these days with social media mm-hmm. you know yes. it's that to me is something that i'm quite proud of because they still come to us with their problems you know they still come to us if they get arrested or you know and that isn't a joke that does happen yeah, twice, yeah. twice now and you know, you know my audience right yeah, exactly. you know? okay, okay. So they're like, they're all they're doing is going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> you have said has shocked them. Yeah. So it's, it's stuff like that. And the, and the fact that they still can come to us, that's my, you know, that, as far as I'm concerned, that's, that's my biggest achievement as a parent. Not, you know, I haven't failed. I, you know, but I don't pat myself on the back because I just think that I've parented, really. That's fair to say. Now, one of the things that parents deal with having individuals on the spectrum is the relationship, right? Anecdotally, it's high, right? The the divorce rate. You guys have been doing this for a long time. You said 16 years. And I'm sure even the relationship hasn't always been sunshine and rainbows. But for the folks listening, because the moms and dads I work with, this is an issue. So Hmm. let me pick your brain. And if I can inquire about a few tips, what are some tips? How have you guys made it through? Because from even just what I hear from all the way from even acquiring your kiddos to dealing with the behaviors at first, how did you manage all that and still stay together? I think the key to our success as a couple, as parents, uh, parents of neurodiverse children. The key is that we take time out for ourselves. So we always have a holiday apart, which I know a lot of couples are probably wincing at right now and going, well, I couldn't do that. But I have a week away. Well, I say a week. I usually manage to squeeze 10 days out of it. But Scott has a week. (laughs) I just rolled his eyes a week by us. Yeah, I don't count weekends. Yeah, okay, yeah, so Scott has a week away. I have a week away. We, you know, we we visit our friends in in wherever they are. We'll we'll have the odd weekend away with our friends separately. So we do have that time out. And yes, I accept that's not conventional. However, I do believe having that breathing space to heal, to repair, to gather your own right. thoughts, to make mm-hmm. make order out of chaos. I think that is yeah. our saving grace. The process. Really really to process and you guys both do it and there's and you're not offended when the other one does it i agree with you you need space to hang out with friends and just digest everything and you're living together you're you get sick of each other even naturally right like if i pulled my wife in here she's probably sick of me right now so i totally get that what about you scott like what's been the key besides respite which i wholeheartedly agree with yeah, I mean, you know, Tris is right. He goes away for maybe two weeks at a time, not a week. But for me as well, there has been occasions where, you know, we've had to, I'm not saying we separate, but at very late notice, something may have gone wrong and, and one of us has just gone, okay, I, I just need to get out of here for a mm-hmm. few days. 
you know, and, and we have done that. We have done that in the past. So I think it's, it's really, for us anyway, it's about being able to say, I need some time out from this, like, no. So being able to be that open and honest and not, you know, not allow it to kind of fester on, affect your mental health, all that kind of stuff that, you know, we know is really important for, for, for anybody these days, not just, you know, not just our children or us. So I, th- I think communication is one of the biggest things in there. And also an understanding that, and this, this was something that we learned very, very early on. Our, ch- our childhoods are very different from each other's. We had some very different traditions that we had never realised that we had until our children came along. Add on top of that, our children's expectations of traditions and stuff like that. Right. So I'm talking about our first Christmas as a family. Absolute hell. Hell on earth. So we had to, we had to readjust. We had to readjust everything. But we had to do that by breaking down each other's kind of barriers to be able to find out where there was some kind of mutual things going on or where we, we could change something because actually that had an impact on our children and it had an impact on us as well because we both got into this kind of situation where well my Christmas is you know the way that it has to be and no it's my Christmas so there was kind of clashes there so very early on we had to take a step back and you know agree that actually we were both right but we just had to find some common ground and some, you know, some midway, some, you know. Um, That's the point. Yes, because I think one of the things is like when you're actually talking about accommodations or discipline or and you're not agreeing or was there cases of that? Like, as you, oh, you know, I, I think so who conceded or was it a natural working in the middle is best is it an argument and then a debrief after everyone's regulated what's sort of the cycle there i know you've this is going back now because i'm sure you guys are just in a rhythm with your kids being your age but if you can remember back then because that's i'm just i'm here my audience chatting in my yeah yeah i I mean we were pistols at dawn to begin with i mean there's no doubt about it we stand back to back take 10 paces and then turn around and the first person to to hit would be the one that won kind of thing but as time went on, I think we just got into a flow where, you know, if we used to say battles and wars, okay, so it took, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, Chris, but it took you a lot longer to realise that maybe the battle wouldn't be won, but the, sure. the longer term war was kind of, you know, <laughs> yep, horrible analogy. But it's, No, no, it's, choose it's, your battles. That's, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. Um, so I you were that, talking about the war. And he liked to pick the battles. Yeah. Right. Definitely. But then they, you lose the war when you just keep picking exactly. them and pick. Because yeah. if you pick battles, you'd be arguing all day. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I, I think I think a lot of that I think a lot of that is due to the Scott was the stay at home dad and I was out to yeah. work. Sure, so yeah. there was a scenario where I would come home from work, listen to everything that happened at school that day, and then pick it up and run with it. Whereas I had to learn that actually what happened in school stayed in school and it, it didn't need to come home. It didn't need to interfere with our home life. Actually, once we put that rule in where what happens at school stays at school and homework doesn't come home, it gets done at school, then it took the pressure off the household completely. Wow. So it was about... So, so I, I, I agree with what you say, early days, battles and wars, but actually we took the lid off it completely by addressing the underlying issue. And always, 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 the underlying issue was that something had happened at school that day and it had found its way home, either through a phone call or a letter or an email. And, you know, we all know that schools email at five o'clock on a Friday to wreck your weekend. 
That was happening every weekend. And it got to the point where Scott wouldn't answer the phone at home because for fear that it was school ringing up. Mm -hmm. But we had to deal with that bit first. And that took us five or six years to, to recognise. And then it took us a good couple of years to actually get school to listen to us. That's actually, that's a great tip, guys. Okay, so I want to transition a little bit because I think the podcast 2006, right, Scott, that you, is that around when you started it? Uh, 2016, yeah. 2016. Yeah. Where did the idea that like, did it come from excitement or did it come from like a mixture of passion from fire from looking at the adoption world and now getting some experience behind it and noticing a gap? Like, where were you inspired to yeah. start I mean, the, the podcast? It's fair to say I wasn't, it wasn't my idea because in terms of having ideas like that, no way. So Al, my <laughs> co-host, he is an adoptive parent to six and he was a he was a massive blogger back in the day. He used to just put down, you know, half A4 kind of these are my thoughts on this topic this week. And, and it was really popular. And um, at the time I was working for the charity in the UK, Adoption UK. And we I was very, very lucky enough to be invited to some meetings at the Department for Education in London. And Al and I met. And we hit we, we hit it off. We have the same sarcastic sense of humor. We hate everybody. We hate adoption, but we love it, actually. Right, um, right, right. And we, we, there was a lot of kind of similarities to our story. So he asked me to be the first guest, and I talked so much, he had split it over two episodes. <laughs> so so, so rather, than, rather than kind of chuck me away, he, he, after the second episode, he said, listen, you know, my plan was to ask you to, to, to be the co-host. I just wanted to see how we gelled on, on you know, in audio sure, sure. and from there oh my days it's just been i mean it's, it'll be six years seven years no six years this year yeah six years in september since we launched we did fill a gap because um al thought the blogging was coming to an end and i have to be honest with him with you at the time i was like what are you on about blogging coming to an end but actually you know i can't be bothered to spend the time reading stuff and I hadn't a clue what podcast was, I'm going to be honest. And um, back then, I did not really, you know, just, I didn't know. I had never listened to one until we did one. And then I started to listen to podcasts. And all we've done really is, you're right, we've filled a, filled a kind of gap in terms of adoption and fostering. That's extended on to kind of trying to support special guardians. Um, so those that look after, you know, children within their own families or their extended families. And... Essentially, we've, I mean, last week we interviewed the Minister for Children in England and we, you know, we, we interview anybody really that, you know, wants to come on who has, number one, something specific that they lead on. So it could be someone from a children's charity, it could be like the Minister from last week. And then alternate weeks, we do conversations where someone with lived experience, whether that be an adopter, a foster carer, an adopted adult, or care experienced adult or anybody who's really had personal experience comes on and tells their story. And, you know, that, so that's how we work it. It works alternate weeks. Some weeks we'll just do a, a state of the nation. What's the news? What's happening? What's, you know, what's current? I think the main thing for us is that we have, well, we try and have a little bit of a laugh because, you know, adoption mm -hmm. and fostering and special guardianship is not for the faint hearted. You know, you've got to have big sets of balls between your legs excuse that analogy but you know that, i know that's allowed that, here yeah, yeah. or like a good set of ovaries on you yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. 
Like you need so, steel ones. We, we get it. Like, cause yeah. it's not for the faint of heart at all. Yeah. Just because like, I don't have, I'm not like Tristan. I have no media training. Can I just tell you this, that the podcast is actually called the adoption and fostering podcast, right? I did not even say the name. And so I, my audience is like, what's the, name right yeah you want to search it right while we're talking so it's the adoption fostering podcast sorry to cut you off you're right it's not at the faint of heart did you find it as a creative release an emotional release what, no, what what's it for you i i, I love the fact and especially this last couple of years because obviously i've been stuck at home we live um, in ireland now whereas we're originally from the uk so we weren't able to fly home um so the last few years i've really enjoyed being able to just catch up and you know have chat for me it's almost like a little support group when al and i get together because you know there's a bit that we do beforehand which isn't recorded there's a bit that we do recorded sometimes we'll leave the outtakes to the end if there is any, mm-hmm. but for me, it's, it's kind of, you know, I would never have ever have thought that it would have been in the top 3% of parenting podcasts around the world. Oh, that's excellent. That's, Congratulations. You know, when Al sends me the graph with all the figures and stuff from all the platforms, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that means. Give me numbers. So he gives me numbers. I'm like, is that a lot? Like, that is like phenomenal, you know? So, but it's, I think it's because it's lived experience. We don't, you know, we, and we have a laugh and we do, you know, we have guests on who are really, you know, who, who I would class as important, but we also have a laugh with them. Yeah. You know, they give us they give us a factual and the really important stuff, but we also have a laugh with them. So you know, for me, it's quite a release. It's like like saying my little support group once a week, just to you know. And really, Al does the hard work because he does all the the kind of the recording and the editing and you all just that. get in there with your yeah. sunglasses, yeah, the yeah. robe, right? You know what I mean, the cape. Yeah. And then you sit down with your drink and you're like, let's begin. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly how it works. Okay. And then he does all this stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it takes two to absolutely do that. And so that's going well for you. And the feedback, I'm sure, was great. And it's weird, right? When you're sitting here talking into a microphone when you are alone, when you're not interviewing somebody, and you just find it so wild that people are listening to it. And you're like, what am I doing here? Who's yeah. listening to? me so congratulations that you were the stay home dad tristan and you then said okay i want to do something when did fasd ireland pop into your subconscious like were you settled on this did you want to do something else i talked about it for um most of lockdown and i just hadn't really got around to doing it Um, when did you say like f it i'm doing it on the 9th of September last year, it was World FASD Awareness Day. Ireland had done nothing. I had literally looked at every minister, every senator, every organisation linked to health and mental health to see if they had put a tweet or a mention on a social media platform about FASD, and none of them did. And I said, today is the day. And I sat at 10 o'clock that night because I waited and waited to see if anybody would and nobody did. And at 10 o'clock that night, I wrote what I was going to say. Scott gave me some tips. I'd never done it. And I launched with a small video uh, onto a web platform that I bought and paid for. Yeah. And I had to do it twice because the first time I did it, Scott said I looked like a robot and I didn't smile once. <laughs> <laughs> Look how far you've come. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, um, it's insane how that works. Just it becomes more natural. Yeah. It's weird at first yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I'd had a number of conversations with organizations in the two years of lockdown because we weren't getting support for our youngest son who does have a diagnosis of FASD. 
and there was just nothing. There was nothing in Ireland for us. So there, there was a there was an organisation that had a parent support group, but we didn't feel that that was what we needed. We we didn't want to sit and talk about stuff with other parents. We wanted help, and we wanted help and support from the organisations that were that existed to provide that help, and we just weren't getting it. And the reason that that wasn't happening was because there was no voice. There was no there was no organisation beating the drum loud enough. Everybody was a little bit scared of putting their head above the parapet because, you know, Ireland has a an insane problem with alcohol through pregnancy. Like, I, or just alcohol in general. And I thought maybe that's just a stereotype because you know what the North American stereotype is for sure. Ireland, right? It is synonymous yeah. with drinking. Like that's- Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what? 82% of women in Ireland drink alcohol through pregnancy. So it nearly is synonymous when you look at the numbers. It's absolutely scary that it's even tolerated, but it is. And so, you know, it, it, I, I took that very difficult decision. I, I, I'm an English born and bred. I live in Ireland, so that's not a great start. Because, you know, there's some history there way before my time, 100 years. Right, right, right. There is history between the two countries. Took me a second, but now I get it. Secondly, I'm a man, so I'm not going to get pregnant. So I can drink as much as I like, theoretically. And here I am telling women who live in Ireland that they can't drink alcohol because nobody had ever told them. So it was a massive leap of faith to be able to start FASD Ireland on that kind of background. So, and I'm assuming when you're telling, you know, you're saying that to the women, it's a bit softer, or are you saying it like that? Because I I don't know, um, culturally, right? I'm assuming again, culturally, is that how you talk? Like, is that the way? And they they understand that over, or how, how, what's your message? How do you deliver it? So there's a couple of key messages. And the first one is that, you know, we recognize, I recognize, the world recognizes that Ireland has been tolerating alcohol through pregnancy since way before that, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s. It's been part of state. And therefore, one of the roles that we face as an organization is re-educating. So immediately we talk about re-educating. That negates shame and blame. You, You can't blame or shame anybody if they didn't know if there there was no public health information to the contrary nobody knew the risks then you can't start to blame and shame people it's as simple as that so when when I talk publicly about FASD and the risks of alcohol consumption you know that that's really the first line of uh, that's the opener for me the second one then, and, and it usually comes with whoever's interviewing me in Ireland, whether it be, you know, TV, radio, podcast, web, web broadcasting, whatever, they will always say, so is it okay then for a glass of red wine every Saturday? Because then they think, well, okay, if, if alcohol isn't safe to drink, surely one a week is okay. And of course, then that opens the floor for me to be able to say, absolutely no way, no alcohol, and the message, actually, that I've just agreed with the HSE, that's our health service in, in, in Ireland. I work very closely with the public health team. And the message we've just agreed is, if you are thinking of conceiving, or you are trying to get pregnant, or you are already pregnant, no amount of alcohol is safe. And that is now a public health message. So it even talks about if you are thinking about conceiving, stop. Yeah. Because it addresses the pregnancies that people don't. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. 
our side of the pond, they say, you know, up to six months before you even plan to do it like that. Right. Okay. So what's been the like backlash is like, none. I imagine none. None. None, none. at all. Not even from the nuns. Because you're <laughs> none <at all. laughs> none from the because I thought you're shaking the tree, right? So if drinking yeah. is ingrained in the culture, it's a big onion, right? Like then you're talking about yeah. people's own personal journeys with alcohol, their family. Like if you're talking generational, there's generational trauma, sure. there's all the things that come with alcohol, but no. I think the biggest thing that we've noticed, so everybody's been really open and perceptive to, to the message. I think the biggest thing that I find that's quite shocking is the organisations that, that refuse to work with the alcohol industry. Now, Tris has a saying about this. I think it's where there's... If you're it? part of the problem, you're part of the solution. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, and, and it's, it's not, that's not uncommon from what we can tell now. You know, there's yeah, a lot yeah, of I've heard of it. Yes, yes. But how can we how can we hope to get anywhere if we're not kind of working with these organizations and companies? Yeah, they've, they've got money. You know, they're, they, they have messages for other things. We, we since set up FASD Ireland, I have noticed, you know, the, the wine bottles, um, cider cans, you know, all that sort of stuff. And we get sent photographs as well from some, some of our followers on social media of the, the image of a pregnant woman on the back of the bottles. But those bottles and those cans are being imported from the UK. They're not European. So there's a, bit, there's a big issue with both those things, really. And I'm sure Tris will tell you more about the kind of the, the political side of it here. But to me, that's the two things that I have noticed. So when you, when you say, has there been backlash? No, but those are the two big things that I have noted that are a real, still a big issue. And it's not where we expected it to be. You know, we, we did expect to be backlash. I expected there to be, I thought I was, you were going to go, heck yeah, but that's yeah, interesting. Maybe they're just not saying it to your face, eh, fellas? Yeah, well, you know. No, it's not even that. When, when we, so typically we'll talk on local radio, which will reach sort of, local radio is county by county, so typical li- listeners of about 80,000 at a time. So we will, we will talk about FASD, we'll talk about the risks, we'll talk about what it means for families and that the phone lights up literally as soon as I come off the air because families start to identify that Mm -hmm. actually their child is missing the milestones, their child that has a convenient, dare I say, diagnosis of autism or ADHD. Actually, it might be because mum was drinking through pregnancy and the GP was just too scared to ask the question. And so we have lots and lots and lots of those difficult conversations we have boxes of tissues in our office parents will visit us they will ring us and they will talk openly and candidly about i heard your interview i think that my child doesn't have adhd but they have fasd and of course what we just validated you validated and that's i hear that so often that story of people here go to training and go oh my god i've been searching for this that's my kid yeah And it is, it's a light bulb moment. And of course, what we say to them is, well, your child probably does have ADHD because 70% of children with FASD will have a secondary diagnosis of of ADHD. We know that the 428 comorbid conditions associated with FASD. So there's a good chance that the child who has a diagnosis of ASD, Tourette's, you know, all of those, there's a good chance. But the, the issue in Ireland is that nobody in the health service currently is 
prepared to stand up and have that conversation. So, you know, the, the parent says, my child is missing milestones. They go to the Child Adolescent Mental Health Service and simply put, they're given a diagnosis of ASD and, and told to get, go away. And so that child grows up with the wrong diagnosis, trying to survive with the wrong support. And so, you know, one of the reasons that, again, that we set up was to raise awareness across the country about FASD and to say, look, there are, well, the WHO percentage figures for prevalence in Ireland is 4.75. It's the third highest globally out of 187 countries. So five in every hundred people in Ireland have some form of FASD. And yet we have more people diagnosed with ASD in the country than the global average. So that speaks volumes to me that we're just not waking up to FASD being so endemic across the country as it really is. And so that's why it's important for us to exist and, and to raise that awareness. Your goal is to get into the collective subconscious of your fellow country members about FASD. Absolutely. I want it to be the first question asked, not the last Agreed. Yeah, the last. Agreed. Yeah. Even one of my favorite mentors of all time said, we have to rule it out first instead of including yeah. it last, because so often yeah. parents go years and years and, and individuals on the spectrum go years and years thinking it's all them, shitty parenting, their fault, bad kid, the, the whole thing. That's a big undertaking, Tristan. Yep. You know, Scott, what was there any hesitation on your end? Like you're doing yeah. this? Yeah, loads. And, and for a number of reasons. Number one, I work for a charity, like I said earlier, Adoption UK. Yeah. Um, it's hard work when you're setting something like this up. And, you know, for me, I, to begin with, I hesitantly got involved on the operations side. And I say hesitantly because I personally can't sit and quote figures like Tristan does. So for me, I know how FASD affects our day-to-day -day lives and how, you know, and, and in some ways how it affects my, my children's lives. But I wouldn't be able to, you know, do the training that Tristan does or quote figures, etc. So for me, that hesitance was more about, you know, if you can't do it, then who would you be looking to to fill your place? You know, so so it's very much dependent right now on one person. And I do the rest of it, if that makes sense. So you know, I, you know, run the offices and, and um, the train, but I organize all the training, so I get involved in all that. But there was the other part of it as well, because people think that this is something that we've kind of, you know, begged, borrowed and steal to put together. I mean, we sunk our savings into this to, you know, and we've, we've set up a not-for-profit, we've sunk our savings into it, we've taken on offices, massive risk, you know, so it has to work, we have no choice, it has to work for us, and when I say it has to work, we will always be here as FASD Ireland, regardless of what's going on outside of that front door, because, you know, there's other things that we can be doing if, you know, if things are a bit quiet on FASD, and what I mean by quiet is, you know, Tris is going to have to keep on knocking on the doors to Break, that, break down the doors to get into people's you know, heads and the politicians and you know, the, the health service and stuff. Because you know yourself, and I'm sure you've had guests on in the past who've had this problem, lip service is paid far too often in this kind of life that we live and nothing is done. So you then again have to go and knock back on the door. So 
yes, there was hesitance. It's my part in it is to bring in an income. <laughs> that's my job is to make yeah, sure to that- generate the revenue. Sure. Yeah, exactly. That's I have no problem talking about that, fellas, because nothing happens. You can't serve you know, if you're not generating revenue, exactly. you know, yeah. you won't be at your best if you're just another stereotype sitting in the basement smashing potatoes, because, exactly. you know, you don't have to be a poor, you don't have mm-hmm. to like, there's nothing, you don't have to do that it just allows you to serve better. So I totally understand that. And especially you guys are starting for a whole country. So obviously, lots of nerves taking risk, it's something that we have to do. Because Tristan, I have a feeling there's no way you could keep your savings, then retire, sit on a beach with knowing what you know about the disability. You couldn't let it go, right? It was driving me crazy. Yeah, I see. That's so that's what I mean. People think, oh, big yeah. risk. But it's something inside you that's telling you like you have to do this. And that's actually a good thing, because then one of the things about being successful is not counting the cost. You can't count the cost. You just got to be ready to you know, bang on the doors, right? Put, put yeah. your work boots on and do that. So and, this and is one of, one of, one ahead, of the first things I did when, when, when I set up was I had to secure the organization. There was no point setting up an organization to fall in two or three weeks time. So I was able to talk to some corporates and get funding for the next five years. So that, that gave us security. Now, I had a number of voluntary agencies coming to me saying, how on earth did you do it? And I said, well, I literally rang them up and said, look, I need I need the money. Yeah, I need. The and help. they said, and we I, need a write off. Let's do it because it's how yeah. it works. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So having the concern about, you know, our funding took away almost. That means we can focus on the day job. Yes. And it's really important to me that every single day I go out and talk about FASD, no matter what I do, who I'm talking to, where I am in the world. And I'm I'm talking to you from Birmingham in the UK right now. I'm doing an exhibition over the next two days and I'll be talking to 8,000 people about FASD. It's really important. And and it's a European exhibition. So there will be people there from Ireland. And it'll be risky then. And it's risky. Yeah, no, it's, it's risky. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. A European exposition, right? That's all yeah. I'm saying. Okay. However, yeah. you get your message up. Hey, Trent, Scott Tristan's on a stage, you know, just yeah. dress right up, do your thing, whatever gets yeah. people listening. Absolutely. And I was asked on the plane on the way over, I was talking to a, a, a guy who was just sitting next to me. And he said, I can see the passion in you talking about FASD. Mm-hmm. What drives you? And I I stopped for a minute and I said, you know what drives me every day is that every day that I can get FASD talked about is one more step in the direction where my son can grow up and live an independent life. So if I can do that for my son, I can do that for everybody. So that's it's as simple as that. It's not a job. It is a vocation now. You You guys got me excited, man. Where do you see yourself in five years Tristan, so I want I'll obviously I would love to check in before that. But when yep. you're doing the vision and you guys are dreaming and, and talking shop, what's the vision for five years? Well, if it's my two weeks of holiday on my own, I'll be on a beach in Thailand. But um, <laughs> <laughs> if it's not that uh, those two weeks, yeah. Um, well, look at we, we we've just put a pitch together with the Social Entrepreneurs of Ireland to establish a national FASD hub for Ireland, which will allow us to provide seven days a week telephone helpline for signposting and 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 counseling and and all sorts of service over the telephone we're hoping that that will launch the 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 end of this year 
we've had already some funding for establishment from from some amazing international organizations so one from america an organization called monday.com they have a philanthropy wing and they've already funded us which has been amazing so we do hope that with the work that we're doing with social entrepreneurs of ireland that we're going to be able to get the national fsd hub up and running very soon beyond that i would love to be able to set up peer-to-peer training so that we can start to support parents and families and carers and social workers and and educators and and anybody who's touched by FASD in in Ireland. We want to be able to support them. Again, we recently got some funding so that we can now, essentially next month, we're going to start doing two and a half hour webinars for special needs teachers. So every single special needs teacher or assistant across Ireland can attend those free of charge to get FASD awareness training. And we're doing that with with full approval from the Ministry of Education. And that's really important to us because it puts us on that platform where educators will start to trust what we're talking about. So five years, it's a long time. You know, we're now seven months into when we set up. Um, I know, I was going deep. I was asking you to go deep, you know, into the subconscious. Scott, are you trying to do math? I am. Yeah. <laughs> I know that. It's look. ten months, you muppet. Yeah, is yeah. It? Oh, ten, yeah. Just it's, like, it's, so, so it's ten months since we took on the offices, but it's um, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's such a good ride. It's such a good ride. It's gone that quick, you know. But I will say, FASD Island is an organisation that we've set up that we hope won't be running in five years' time. And the reason that we hope it won't be running in five years' time is because the message will get across that FASD exists. That People with FASD need support to be to lead independent lives, and that if we can educate society not to drink alcohol at these critical times of their lives, then FASD will be eradicated from society. So I know that's an, a really strange outlook, but if we are successful in what we do, and I think five years is too soon, but you know that has to be our vision that we don't exist. I hear you. Now, Scott, I know you called him a Muppet, but I can see it. You're pretty proud of this guy, huh? I am. And, and for, for more than just one, you know, to go from being a stay-at-home dad and not necessarily being needed anymore and then finding a, a niche for himself. And then obviously, you know, I've come into it as well. You know, that in itself is just, you know, quite inspirational in, in terms of what he's done. And I'm pleased to have kind of joined them on the journey in terms of my background and charities and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So that that's really good. I think for me, well, we talked about it briefly before, but, you know, had a few health problems recently. So my kind of outlook is just getting through the next couple of months. <laughs> that, you're, you're a good segue, man, because I was going to talk about your social media, but keep going because I just at least we spend 30 seconds on because yeah. I want to tell you from my end what I... Anyway. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. But I think that Tris has... has continued on you know went through all of that as well and continued on running an organization on his own until i was well enough to come back into it so you know okay okay folks like this is i'm talking about this because a got permission but b it's now that i have some context tristan about because this is around march ish or the end of march when this happened okay so i follow scott because i didn't know scott you were connected to i just message that is the ireland because i saw y'all i didn't know the connection here at all okay and so but i followed you because i've listened to your podcast before it was recommended and so i'm following you 
and then I see it's like you're tagged and all of a sudden Tristan is saying with a picture of a helicopter, mm. right? So you had an aneurysm while you guys were on holiday, correct? Yeah, so we were on the weekend away with friends, Sunday morning, the 13th of March. Not that I remember the date or time, you know, about half past nine, 10 a.m. Right. And I, it's, it's a really strange thing to try and explain, but it just, something just went pop. And I felt like my head was filling up with, with liquid sure, and intense pain, neck pain. Fast forward an hour after I tried to have a shower and thought, oh, this is a really strange headache, you know. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tris comes back through to ask if I want a coffee, can tell I'm not well. And then it was the kind of, I had to, I had to not make a decision, but I was going, no, no, don't, we don't need an ambulance. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. In the end, Tris made the decision to, to call for an ambulance. And not just an ambulance, but an air ambulance. So, yeah, at that point, we didn't know what it was, but I was airlifted to hospital, how many miles away? About 120 miles away, down the south coast of Ireland, where the the first CT scan or whatever scan it was I did um, revealed I'd had two aneurysms rupture. And then as the day went on, I had another two ruptures. So I had four in total rupture within the space of a couple hours. Oh, my goodness. Tristan... So you didn't know when you took the picture of the helicopter that that was the issue. There was just obviously an issue, right? Because then I was like, how do you hold composure to say, I have to document this? Well, I I knew that the, the, the ambulance technicians had told me that if he was going to go to our local hospital, that he wouldn't survive. So I knew that we had 40 minutes to get him to a, a, one of the national neurological hospitals. And for the four and a half hour journey that it took me to get there, because the roads in Ireland are not like what you've got in Canada, then all I could think about was, has he made it? And I walked into the hospital and wanted to know, you know, my first question was, is he here? Oh my Um, gosh, that car ride must have felt like a day. Yeah, it it was because, and I can tell you, when, when when I did eventually get to bed that night in a hotel in Cork, I realized I had nothing with me. I had no toothbrush, no deodorant, no clothes, no shower gel, nothing. I was just in the clothes I was in because I literally watched the helicopter go up and then I followed it from, from the road. Oh my of course, gosh. It, it got there very quickly. And of course, at the, the point I went to see him, he was in the ED. He had a dozen lines in. He was on all sorts of machines and he wasn't aware of me. He'd only had, I say only, he'd had two aneurysms at that point. I stayed with Scott till 7.30 that evening and the hospital staff said, you need to get some sleep, go to a hotel, do not drink, you might need to come back if he doesn't make it, we'll ring you. We don't think he's going to make it through the night. So they said, take a photograph of him so you can remember what he looks like while he's alive, which I did. And then I went to the hotel and I just well I just I would I started to think because I, I had a lot of people to tell and I was getting lots of questions so I thought okay I'm not going to address this oh that all makes sense yeah okay so you weren't just like I'm not that I presupposed because I was like yeah. maybe it's already happened but you know this crucial moment in time you're putting it on social media but okay that all makes sense but still to so, me I was a gas like because I saw you yeah 
Scott posting about I'm getting ready or I'm having yeah. a drink. So then all of a sudden the, the next one is you're taken off in a hospital aneurysm. And so you booked it too. And you went to the hotel, but they said, don't drink because you might have to come back. Did, is that yeah. you missed an opportunity there to use that to talk about FASD though? How come? No, no, no. I just, we just so, so it was a, a, you said the, every um, day, dude. Yeah. So the ED, the ED staff said, "What? What does he do?" And I said, "Well, he's the chief operating officer of FASD." They said, "What FASD? Right, mean, right, the, right. The, brain, the brain thing." I said, "Yeah." They said, "Well, isn't it funny? He's now had a brain thing himself." Oh and yeah, said, it's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's just oh, it's man. okay. Um, so spoiler. I was just going to say, typically, typically, it wouldn't be Tris oversharing on social media. It would be me. That's yeah, 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 yeah. And secondly, I am that popular. So, you know. You yeah, yeah, people want to know. I was a It truly, like, there's only a few times where you go on social media and you go, oh. Like, yeah. I didn't even, I only knew you from social media because you're like, oh, the yeah. dude was having a great time. Excellent. So, boiler alert, you lived. I did. Funny. Yes. But- the hospital rang me at 6.30 the next morning, at which point I had 4,000 messages to reply to. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. So they rang me at 6.30 and they said he's had two more aneurysms. His brain is severely swollen. We don't think he's going to make lunchtime. Can you get the family together? So I literally had to fly my oldest son into Cork. I had to get my mum to oh. go up to where we live to look after youngest and middle son. And you're like, and what am I, I going to do? Like, what? Yeah, I was pacing the floor and oh. then they rang me again at they rang me again at 10 and they said we've now got the encephalitis the swelling of the brain under control we're going to prepare him for breaking the skull so from uh, going to yeah. shave his head break the skull going that way and I said okay whatever you know so they said surgery is going to yeah. take 7 hours yeah. so they they took him down at 12 and by 9 o'clock I still hadn't heard anything and they rang me at half past 10 and they said he made it and they uh, said, do you want to come in? And I said, what do you mean, do I want to come in? I said, I can't possibly come in if he's just come out of brain surgery. And they said, oh, he's sitting up in bed, wild. eating toast and drinking tea. And I went, we're talking about the wrong person. Scott doesn't eat toast. <laughs> yeah, that's and, right. Uh, you powered yeah. through it. He's not yeah. going to make it. And then you're like, Scott's like, hold my yeah. tea. They don't yeah. know who they're messing with. I so they didn't. It. They didn't have to do that procedure, thankfully. They went in through my groin. No, yeah. they, they did a, oh, they a did. catheter. Okay and clipped four aneurysms from the inside through the main artery. But they said that the next day he was going to sink like a roller coaster, and he did. And I think the two days after that, he was in a very bad way. But of course, I was allowed to go in and see him, but then I used the time to document our journey on social media. But also there was a point of me where I just couldn't get through 4,000 messages. And so that's why yeah, I was That all makes sense. I, yeah. It wasn't yeah. like I sat there and went, Tara, do you see this? You should see. I just thought maybe like on his way, you snapped it and was like this change of plans. All yeah. of that is in context. Don't yeah. worry. I don't think you guys are assholes. Okay. Although I did, I did think it was very strange when he sent me the video about three weeks later, because I started to want to piece things together because sure. I, I'd just been through the thing. I was high half the time from all the meds. Yeah, man. Um, I was sleeping most of the time. My first 24 hours felt like a week because I kept on going to sleep, waking up, you know, doing that all during the day. And when he sent the, the clip, I was like, what the fuck the hell are you taking? A, you know, I was in that ambulance. It wasn't a flight to Mauritius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in club class, <laughs> sipping champagne. I was lying on a gurney, um, strapped in, um, in just a... In, 
just in my boxer shorts, you know, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty thing. Right. And I think the, the, you know, this maybe just proves my humor. The last thing that the paramedic said before I got into the ambulance, is there anything you want to, a message you want to pass on to your husband? I went, don't forget my hairbrush. That was the <laughs> only thing that I wanted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. That's, and that's on point. That's on point. Yeah. I dig it. Yeah. Like yeah. Scott, is your perspective now on life change? Because not yeah. only one is the percentage of surviving that minimal, but four yeah, is, I, mean, I think, how, how's it changed? Yeah. I think on the other side of what's happened, you know, you join a Facebook group or a couple of Facebook groups, you speak to people and then you just realize, actually, I, sh you know, I shouldn't be sitting here having had four, you know, there are people who have won and die, you know, so I'm very lucky to be here. It has changed. It's, you know, it's changed a lot of my bad habits. I'm not as, Tris probably disagree, but I don't think I'm as cantankerous and grumpy as I used to be. <laughs> I, I think that I'm a lot more laid back because some of that is because some of the stresses have been taken out of my life. You know, I've had to give up a few things I was doing. You know, I was, I was a director for a suicide prevention charity as well. Sure. Before it happened, I had another job as well as my current job. So I had to, I had to kind of thin it out a little bit to make sure that I wasn't over um, stressed and my blood pressure, etc., was all kind of you know contained. That's the biggest thing for me. And I think just the, you know, the, the, the difference it's made to the kids as well, I think is just, you know, it's not, it's not been the, the most negative thing in the world to happen. You know, so, our middle son, you know, he's, he's, I, I still like go, what? Huh? Cause he says, can I do this or do that for you? And I'm like, huh? Who are you? Oh, you know? right. So that uh, have an appreciation to how yeah. things are fleeting. And with all that, Tristan, you are still powering forward to build FASD Ireland. And I think it's awesome. I think you guys are pretty darn awesome. So how can we and me and my audience, Tristan, help you? What can we do? Where can we go? How can we get in your world? You know, because this is the shameless self-promotion segment i look good i mean really good hey everyone come and see how good i look so be shameless sir and tell us what we need to do well it's it's always wonderful to have as many followers as possible on our socials so if people well not, not if people people will want to follow us now so that's an easy one it's at fasd ireland and we're on all of the platforms. And also our website is, is superb in terms of the information that's contained on there. It's very much from an Irish perspective. So it might have different information on there that people haven't read before. So welcome to look at the website, www.fasdireland.ie. Oh, um, awesome. Uh, yeah. So keep yeah. going. Is there more? This is shameless. So even if something you wouldn't normally promote, you do it here. We have a well, um, <laughs> do it, do it. One, one, talk about it, talk about uh, it. One of our biggest funders is an organization called the Hidden Disability Sunflower. People will be aware that FASD is the hidden disability, and we are very graciously funded by the Hidden Disability Sunflower for the work that we do in collaboration with them. I would love to see the world covered in sunflower lanyards, especially for, for people who live and, uh, and breathe FASD. So take a look on the website. It's hdsunflower.com. 
you can click a little flag then for Canada, America, Ireland, Denmark. Yeah, and that's so when they're traveling, right? So I noticed that was generating some buzz. So when the workers see the lanyard. Exactly. So we have Toronto Pearson, we have Vancouver. So the country has started to light up a bit with yeah. British Airways recognize it now as well. What a fantastic. So, yeah, that's a fantastic partnership. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that, that helps us tremendously. So yes, I will plug that because it's, you know, any purchase on, on their website is good for us. Yeah, I, no, absolutely. What about yourself, Scott? People are going to say this guy is wild. How do we A, listen to your podcast, B, follow you? How do we hang out with you? So the, the, the podcast available on all podcast platforms. Just type in Adoption and Fostering Podcast. You can tell your speaker thing. I'm not going to say her name because she's in the background. and she'll Yeah, 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 she's, a, yeah she's within earshot. Yeah. She's so, always listening. Yeah. Always, she's listening. So. And yeah, and we're on socials as well. So Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And myself and Al, you know, we, for every download we get, we, we, you know, we appreciate everyone. We love to get reviews similar to what you do. I'm sure you love a review as long as a five star, if you're not going to give a five star. <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right. And I'm on um, socials as well as Gay Adoption Dad. Um, yeah, you're a great follow. So you say again? You're a great follow. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I think that I kind of, some people have said to me over the years, you should change that because, you know, it's not really relevant now. And I'm like, I had that in 2007, 2008, yeah. when Twitter first started. I'm keeping it. So, yeah, anybody can you're, find You're still gay. You're the only person on the deathbed who asked for a hairbrush. Come on. Yeah, exactly. dude, that is, that is, if that doesn't scream gay, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm like thinking of, you could add like, oh yeah, light up a cigar, like give me a <laughs> shot or like, and you're like, I need my, I need my hairbrush, you know? Yeah. I need my bag. I need, exactly. I got to put on I my did- face. And it was only a hairbrush. I didn't ask for the hair dryer, you know. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, well, you knew there was constraints. So yeah. that's very nice of you. Last question here. Tristan, I need a streaming recommendation. What are you watching? What do you recommend to the audience who are like, I don't know what to watch? What are you watching? Oh, God. Actually, I'm watching The Flight Attendant at the moment. Okay. So The Flight Attendant. All right. What about you, yeah. Scott? We need a recommendation. Well, funny. <laughs> I've just rediscovered the original version of Queer as Folk, the UK one that was brought out. Okay, North- yeah, you're paying yourself like. Yeah. Uh, so, but the original one from back in the day. Back in the day, yeah, I'm rewatching it. I've started watching it. Um, Tris and I are quite funny actually about that because we'll sometimes watch stuff together, but then sometimes we'll, you know. So yeah, me and my yeah. wife are the same. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. there's shows we watch American Isle together. We dig that. Right. And then I like video games. She likes watching all kinds of shows. You know, she she, she does her thing. Listen, gentlemen, this was I knew it was going to be good. And so that was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Will you guys come back and do this again? Definitely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like good luck, Tristan. You're taking on a whole country. I think that's excellent. I, I have no doubt that you guys are both going to do well. Congratulations, Scott, on the success of your podcast. And I'm glad your injury did not affect your hair. To see this sweet do, go to our website, fasdsuccess.com slash podcast. And we'll give you all of their socials. All of the links that they mentioned will be on our blog. So you don't have to remember all that because I sure won't. Gentlemen, thank you so much for doing this. Honestly, I really appreciate your humor and your candor. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Oh, Tristan, Scott, thank you so much, guys. Thank you for coming on my show. I really appreciate it. You guys are doing such great work. Keep it up. But let me just talk right off the bat 
when they were talking about how they met and my dad joke about lights went seemingly unappreciated hey can you just send me an email was that funny i thought i had a freaking home run there oh well i guess it explains why i don't play baseball but besides like the uniqueness of being a same-sex couple it not being legal taking foster kids what is the same is how they talked about how naive they were. I think we could all agree, especially for me, how naive I was before I became a full-time foster parent. I don't know if you guys also feel that naivety by not knowing what you were getting into and thinking that, you know, maybe our kids just need a little bit of love and a home-cooked meal and we can help turn things around, but we know that isn't true. And also unique how to hear how because they were the first same-sex couple to adopt that they were overly judged and scrutinized and how they sort of were naive and they thought maybe that's how it went but also they were understanding of that and they already knew that they didn't want a young kid I thought that was totally interesting and another point that Tristan brought up when I was talking about his boys and the sibling group, and by the time they understood about fetal alcohol, how one of the boys was like, listen, I'm just finished with all of that. And it reminded me of listening to not only the other individuals on the spectrum, their story, but parents and their stories and how many professionals are in our kids' lives and how many times they have to repeat the story over and over. So I can understand, certainly understand the position that not only the kids took. And it was great of the parents of Scott and Tristan to say, cool, that is your choice. And I really wanted to extract these tips from them. And they gave great tips about staying together. Because that is hard. It, you know, I work with families every week, every week. There's about 140 families at this given time that I'm working with. And it's a strain on the relationship. And I appreciated how they talked about having that breathing space to heal, to repair, to gather your own thoughts, make order of the chaos. That was their saving grace going on separate holidays, separate times away. What happens to us because I hear it on a weekly basis, is that we have this story or this image in our mind of what this looks like. So I guess it's a right now, since we're in the summertime, as we're recording this, is, you know, the whole family going on vacation and going on outings and doing all of these things. But in reality, in reality, for some individuals on the spectrum, they just cannot do these things. The environment is not suited for, you know, the differences in their brain, in their body, the environment is not compatible or conducive to allowing them to even enjoy where they're going. There's lots of grief and loss there because parents want to do all these things as a family. And oftentimes it's divide and conquer, right? Some stay home with the individuals on the spectrum while the others go out and vice versa. But that is also success as well. In this context, they're talking about saving themselves and taking time away for themselves, which is, I think is a really good idea if you could swing it. They also brought up a great point that I haven't really touched on a lot either, but understanding their childhoods and understanding that their childhoods were very different from each other. And so Scott was talking about how the first Christmas was shit because Tristan had an idea of traditions and structure and Scott had a different idea of how things were supposed to go 
obviously I didn't get into details, but that didn't jive. And so they needed to readjust to find a mutual understanding. Like Scott said, we were both right, but we had to take a step back and find some common ground. So hard to do because this is such an emotional firecracker is FASD. Another thing that I really liked was what happens at school stays at school, including no homework. If I was to ever run for any sort of public office, that would be my platform. No homework for kids. And of course, Scott was talking about his podcast, the Adoption and Fostering Podcast. You could literally, that's what it is on Google, Apple, Spotify. It's the Adoption and Fostering Podcast. Download it, make it part of your rotation. I've been listening to some episodes. His partner on the podcast, Al, they're both dry humor, hilarious. If you like that style of humor, also just a couple of cool dudes talking to some cool people about foster and adopting. Wasn't it so cool that Tristan felt compelled to start FASD Ireland, working at a railroad for so long and then starting this new venture? And then something I didn't think about how, you know, he's lived in Ireland since about 1996 or so, but saying being a, a gay Englishman in Ireland talking to people about drinking and pregnancy and i wouldn't even thought of the political nature of that at all so i was anticipating hearing all kinds of stories about backlash and people pushing back against them and it's just was beautiful to hear that that's not the case that it's actually the opposite and people are open to listening but that stat though what did he say 85 percent of pregnant women in Ireland still consume alcohol. That is a lack of information stat. I'll tell you what, I bet you if there was a public awareness campaign, that surely would go down significantly. But just kudos to you guys. Thanks for sharing the story, the wild story about the aneurysm. And oh, I was watching that on social media. And now it was context. Like, I did have that thought in my head about wait a minute, is this dude posting when literally his husband is in a helicopter? But it makes sense, right? Obviously, you know, popular and lots of people asking questions. So that's a good way to do it. And they are just some good dudes. So check out FASD Ireland, help them out, share their stuff, follow them on social. These gentlemen have stood up and it's a real difficult task that they have started and it's going to be a long journey so any way we can help them move their journey on they're making the world a better place and i'm totally down with that you know who else is making the world a better place you are your work making the world a better place you know why because you're putting in the freaking work you're putting in the work. Listen, you might have had just the most shitty week last week, okay? Siblings fighting, kids screaming, calling you all kinds of nasty names, not listening, behaviors, meltdown, all of that. You could have had a culmination of all that last week, but not this week. This week, you could manage. This week, you are going to breathe. This week, you are going to focus on regulating yourself before you go into a situation, right? Just like Ice Cube said, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Do that for me this week. Just this week, if there's one thing to focus on, it's anytime you are going to go into a situation, please make sure if you need to take a minute to check yourself so that you're responding, not reacting, let's do that. The less fired up you are, 
the better you are able to think. The part of the brain that you can access gives you way better critical thinking skills, and so you'll make a better decision, you'll have a better response, and thus the mood will change, the temperature will change. And none of this happens without you, boo, so get after it, okay? Do not give up. Don't stop grinding. Don't stop. If you say, I don't think I could do this, that's fine, but I just want you to add, I don't think I can do this without more support. And so if you need some support, come get some. Come get some from our free group, facebook.com slash group slash FASD forever. If you need some support for yourself, perhaps you need a therapist. Perhaps you need to see a doctor. Perhaps you're dealing with some mental health issues. Like let's clean up in-house, your house. Then you could be a better wife, partner, spouse, husband, aunt, uncle, all of these awesome things. But one thing you cannot do is do not quit because I love you. I love your face. I know what you're trying to do. Keep on doing it. Thanks for listening to the show. That makes you a, that much more of a freaking badass. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I love you. I will see you back here next week. Talk to you soon. All right. Until then, keep grinding. I love you. Bye.